invite you to open up your Bibles to John chapter 17. We're talking about community uh, this week and next. And John 17 contains this, um, this prayer of Jesus. And it's really one of the most uh, stunning chapters in the Bible, hearing the Son of God praying to God and what he prays for and uh, prays for unity in the church community. We're going to talk about that today. Uh, let's, let's start in verse 20, read to verse 23. This is what Jesus prays. My prayer is not for them alone, my disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one Father, just as you are in me, and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them, and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. And then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them, even as you have loved me. Heavenly Father, thank you for this gift of, of, of prayer. We see your son just praying to you and praying for our unity and praying for um, us to have this oneness that Christ had, has with you. Lord, will you, will you help this word penetrate into our hearts and change our hearts so that we may be obedient, so that we may live out um, in humble trust what we find written to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, there's a, uh, a physical law called the second law of thermodynamics. Some of you, this will come as a uh, college review, the second law of thermodynamics. And it says that um, basically when things are left alone, when things run out of usable energy, uh, the, the tend is for things to kind of wind down, deteriorate, uh, tend towards a, 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 a chaos or randomness. So some, some everyday examples, uh, the, the fire that is keeping you warm as you go camping, when left alone without you putting extra wood on it, what happens to the fire? Well, it kind of dwindle, dwindles down and turns to ash. Uh, the, the ice cubes you put in your glass of tea on a hot Texas afternoon, if you set that glass down and get distracted for a few minutes, uh, what happens to that tea? Well, it kind of gets to stay, the ice cubes melt and they just kind of get lost in the rest of the tea and it's kind of at this yucky room temperature uh, taste and not, not really fun to drink. Uh, you know, you may have been in your earlier day a great athlete, right? Played lots of sports. And then time goes by, and you start sitting on the couch more, and you're watching sports uh, in your later years. And one day you just say, I'm just tired watching these sports. You know, when, when, there's, when things run out of their, their energy, the, the tend is just to kind of wind down and, and get, go towards a state of, of disorder. And as we talk about unity, I want us to think about uh, that, that principle that we see it's in, in nature that when we are left alone, when things are left alone, 
what the, the trend is, is it goes towards a state of, of disorder and chaos. And we know this to be true about human beings. There have been plenty of, of medical studies done, um, equally sick patients in the hospital, some of them receiving a lot of encouragement from, from doctors or nurses. Hey, you're looking good today. You're, you're getting better. Um, and uh, the group of patients that don't receive that encouraging words I mean, with, with the same medical treatment being supplied to both groups, the, the group that gets those words of encouragement tend to get better faster than the ones that are just left alone. Um, babies, you know, newborns, without um, that steady supply of, of being held and comforted, um, they're at a loss, and there, you know, there could be some some social disorders later if they're not, they don't have their months spent with cuddling and that physical touch. Um, my life, when I'm left alone, becomes a mess. I tend to become much more inward focused if I'm left alone. I become all about meeting my needs when I'm left alone. So being left alone is not a good idea. We need people acting on us or we begin to break down and become all about ourselves. So community, what I want us to, to affirm this morning is community is necessary for our emotional health, our spiritual health. We can't be spiritually healthy people without being emotionally healthy Christians as well. We need um, community, but not just any community. Um, as it was said at our, we had a, a, our church council leadership retreat um, this past weekend, and as it was said, a community is kind of a buzzword today. You know, everyone's talking about community. Everyone's looking for community or, or unity. But it has to be the right community. It has to be community as God sets the parameters. So what we're going to talk about today, I'm going to give you this, this statement about real Christian community, and we're going to unpack it um, through the sermon. And here's the statement. Uh, real Christian community is living in love so that we can be changed so that we can change the world. So the first part of that, real Christian community is where we live in love. Um, I say real Christian community because, uh, you know, a church can be full of, of raging extroverts and just, you know, people who are really friendly. And praise God for people like that. I love... I love that. You're going to have a church full of just these energetic, frenzied extroverts, super friendly, but it might not be real Christian community. That might be a part of it, but if that's all that it is, it's probably not real Christian community. Uh, What really marks Christian community is that love is shared. Look at verse 21 in our scripture. Jesus says, My prayer is that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. Now, what I want to focus on with that verse is not so much what Jesus says, but what Jesus does. Uh, I think it's really interesting that Jesus is praying that. Like, if Jesus really wanted his church to be one, I mean, he could have just looked at his his disciples, looked them in the eye and said, now you guys be one, all right? I mean, Jesus could have just commanded unity. Um. 
but that's not what he does. He, he prays for community. Isn't that interesting? And I don't want to miss that fact that Jesus is praying for community. By praying for this, Jesus is showing his life of love with his heavenly Father. I was talking to one of our church guys about the Trinity right before the worship service. And the Trinity, the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, it's not just this, this theological idea that's way up here. There's an extremely practical element about it, and that is that the triune God is in relationship with one another. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all in this community, and then what God does is he invites us to be a part of that community that he has. And that is what Jesus is doing here when he's saying, Father, I, I, I pray that, that they, that, that the church will be one. He's just inviting his believers to be a part of this community, this divine community that he already has with his heavenly Father. But he's not just inviting people into this community. I I want you to just realize what that says about Jesus, that he's praying to his Father. It says that Jesus is humble with his heavenly Father, that he's trusting his heavenly Father, that he depends on his heavenly Father. Jesus knew the only way for this truly important unity of the church to happen Um, is that it would happen through Jesus' relationship with his heavenly Father. I mean, Jesus, what what, what is in his heart is, Father, we are in this relationship. Oh, and it's so wonderful. And I, I so want that for my church. I so want that for my followers. I want my church to have this love. So I want you to think about the love. Um, that we need in the church to, to have this unity that Jesus wants for us. Because you know as well as I, there's lots of ways to demonstrate love. Um, there are different forms of love. C.S. Lewis, remember C.S. Lewis, the guy who wrote uh, The Chronicles of Narnia? He, one of his books, he's a prolific author, one of his books is The Four, uh, the four Kinds of Love or the four loves. And he examines these different ways that people can demonstrate love for one another. And one is the, the, the familial love, the, the love in a family. For example, the love of a, of a parent for, um, for a child. Um, so there's that, that, that familial love. There is um, romantic love. A guy sees a girl, a girl sees a guy, and sparks start to fly that... Romantic love. Um, is that the main kind of love in a church, romantic love? Probably not. I hope not, right? You know, the church is more, certainly much more than that. Hopefully it leads to healthy marriages, but the church is certainly not a dating service. And so that we might see romantic love here or there in a church family, but that's not the primary way that we demonstrate love for one another. Uh, then he talks about friendship love. Friendship is the kind of love that isn't automatic affection like parent for a child, nor is it the automatic, just kind of romantic response of the sparks flying between a man and a woman. Um, 
according to uh, C.S. Lewis, two people don't become friends necessarily because of anything that they see in one another. Think about that. That's kind of true, right? Friendship often is built on, uh, on a common pursuit of something else. Like, you know, you love music, I love music, let's go listen to music together. You love golf, I love golf, let's go golfing together. And there's this common interest, and through that common interest, a friendship can be built. Um, so you can have very different personalities, very different preferences, political views, and we can still be friends. And the fourth love is, is charity. Not as we often think of that word defined today, charity, like giving hand me down or handouts. Um, but it's the, the selfless giving love that, that we see God giving to us, this agape love. Um, a few weeks ago, we, we read through 1 Corinthians 13. That is the, the love of charity. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It is not proud. It does not boast. It, it is not self-seeking. It, 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 it's not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrongs. That's the, the, the charity love that, that ultimately comes from God. It's self-sacrificing. Notice that. Um, so of those four loves, familial love, romantic love, friendship, and um, charity, what, what, what's the kind of love that we need in the church for, for unity? Well, we might see all four, but I think there's two, really, that we build church unity in, right? And it's, it's friendship and charity. Friendship and charity are essential for Christian unity. And notice that these two are the ones that require the most effort, too. All right? I mean, familial love, yeah, parents, you might get put out with your kids at times. You might be walking over, you know, a, a, a floor full of Legos and stepping on them and, you know, saying some naughty words because of that. I don't know, but... But you still love, it's still easy to love your child. Um, you, you hold your, your new baby in your arms, and, and all of a sudden you're like, oh my gosh, I love, I love this little baby. So familial love, that, that parent-child love, it's just, it's just automatic. The, the sparks flying romantic love, it can be kind of automatic. The other two require effort, being a good friend and showing this love of charity takes effort. So what's the key? What's the key? The key to growing in friendship and charity is our pursuit of Christ. So mention that friendship often is built on a common pursuit. And in the church, that common pursuit is we love Jesus. You love Jesus. I love Jesus. And we're walking to Jesus together. And I've heard it put like this. Um, You know, think of a wheel and Jesus is the hub of the wheel. And I can be on the rim of the wheel on one side and you can be on the rim of the wheel on the complete opposite side. We could be as far away as possible on that wheel. We're not very close. And Jesus is in the hub of the wheel. And if we're not close to the hub, we're certainly not close to one another. But the closer we draw to Jesus as our common pursuit, naturally, automatically, we will be drawn closer together as we commonly pursue Jesus. And the closer that we get to Jesus in our common pursuit, the more his sacrificial love, that, that, that agape, self-giving, sacrificing love, the more his love starts flowing in our hearts. 
which then flow out to one another. And so as we get closer to Jesus, we will naturally become closer in Christian friendship. So the second point about Christian community, real Christian community is where we live in love so that we can be changed. And Jesus prays, I have given them glory that you gave me. What does he mean? Earlier in this prayer, if you look at the beginning of chapter uh, 17 of John, Jesus prays that God would glorify him. Father, now glorify me. And, and he wasn't praying that God would make him more beautiful or more stunning or, you know, more amazing. So that, that's not, you know, he wasn't trying to get all the glory for himself when we talk about someone being about all the glory. It's usually that. It's, I want to I make myself look bigger in front of others. Well, Jesus didn't need that from his father. But what Jesus is praying for is that God would reveal to the world, Jesus' true identity. See, there was this veil that was disclosing Jesus, or, or you know, disclosing, keeping hidden Jesus' true identity for, for many people. Many people didn't see him as the, the true Son of God. And Jesus is praying, Father, now glorify me. I'm, through the resurrection, when you take off that veil, we reveal to the world who I am, your Son, the Messiah. And so now Jesus is he's saying, and, and I've given them that same glory. So he's meaning that the world will see true identity of, of these Christians, and for us as well. That the world would see Jesus Christ in them, and, and that, Jesus, that, that the world would see Jesus Christ in us. And, and uh, you know, he's not just praying this prayer for the 12 disciples, but for those who have followed their message, and that's us today if you follow Jesus Christ. Look at what the Apostle Paul writes, 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 3. Paul writes, and we all, and that all, it's, we all, it's not just, it's not an addition, we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. We're receiving glory from the Lord which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So our inner life is changed to look like Jesus. That is Jesus giving us his glory. How does that happen? Well, it's not presto changeo. It happens when we live in unity together, doesn't it? We are changed to look more like Jesus in our inner life. It happens when we share our gifts with one another. When we help one another grow in wisdom, that happens. When we help one another grow through God's word, that happens. Our inner life becomes more and more like Jesus. So I want to suggest three things that we need that, um, that the unity of the, of the church provides for us. One, we need encouragers who will tell us you can do it. gives us that encouraging word. Now, the truth is, I need others coming alongside me and pushing me and motivating me and encouraging me so that I can be all that God wants me to be. 
God wants us to shine bright, and he's given us his glory, and I need others coming alongside me and saying, you can do that. So C.S. Lewis, who wrote The Four Loves, uh, he was uh, very good friends, many of you know this, with J.R.R. Tolkien. So Tolkien, who you know, wrote the Lord of the Rings series, right? And through his friendship, Tolkien actually helped lead C.S. Lewis to Christ. And in that relationship, Lewis, C.S. Lewis actually encouraged and empowered Tolkien. So Tolkien, he was older, he was the more mature writer of the two, but listen what J.R.R. Tolkien writes about C.S. Lewis. He says, Lewis's gift to him was not simply influence, but sheer encouragement. He wrote that Lewis was for long my only audience. I mean, he wasn't having his stuff published. Uh, Tolkien wasn't. He said, C.S. Lewis for long was my only audience. Only from him did I ever get the idea that my stuff could be more than a private hobby. This is J.R. Tolkien talking about his writing. He had this children's story that he wasn't very confident of, and C.S. Lewis urged him, you have to get that published. (laughs) Tolkien didn't want to do it. He finally did. You know what that story was? It was The Hobbit, which, of course, was the prequel to The Lord of the Rings. Because of C.S. Lewis, Tolkien was encouraged to do that. That's what friendship is about. It's about inspiring and encouraging and sharpening and, and helping us Grow into that person that God knows we must be. He plans for us to be. So we need encouragers, but we also need examiners who will help us discern, should you do it? Uh, you know, friends encourage, but you know, true friendship isn't just telling me whatever I think I want to hear, right? Um, I need people to come help me examine what I should do. You may think of Proverbs 11, verse 14, where there is no counsel, where there's no people helping me examine, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety, security. Uh, There's a a gifted writer, church leader Parker Palmer, uh, grew up in the, the Quaker tradition. And uh, early on in his career, people were thinking, okay, this guy's going to be a university president. Well, he actually had an opportunity to become a a university president. Um, He was really excited about taking this position at the small university. But he first called a group of friends together for discernment, kind of a a common practice in the Quaker tradition. Um, And the, the, what the group of friends did wasn't, necessarily just give them advice, but to ask questions so that they could reason together, examine together. And so they asked him all kinds of questions about, about the, the position and what his uh, you know, ideas were for it. And he, he had great answers for that. But then one person in the group asked, okay, what is it about being a university president that you really would like? What is it about that that makes you say, I like that? And, and Parker Palmer thought for a little while, couldn't answer immediately, and he started saying about the things that, you know, he wouldn't like 
about being a president. Like, I, well, I'd have to give up some things. I wouldn't like that. I'd have to move. I wouldn't like that. I'd have to give up, you know, my, my writing. Um, I wouldn't like that. And so the group reminded him, okay, we asked you, what, it, what would you like about it? And he kept going on, well, I wouldn't like this about the job. I wouldn't like this about the job. <laughs> and they pushed him again. Parker, what would you like about it? He said, well, what I guess I'd like the most is getting my picture in the paper with the word president underneath it. So you can imagine just the group remaining silent, not saying anything. <laughs> and it got really awkward. They knew he wasn't being honest with himself, except for that one point where he just said, I just want my name in the paper. Finally, his friend broke the silence by saying, Parker, can you think of an easier way to get your picture in the paper? <laughs> And we need friends that will do that. We've got a big decision. We're like, I don't know what to do. Instead of just making that decision on our own, let's call some friends together to help us examine what we should do. So we need encouragers, we need examiners, and then we need equippers who can teach us how to do it, whatever it is. 2 Timothy 3, verse 16. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We need God's word. We need to be shaped by it. Um, Never do we give someone kind of this important task without training them for it. You don't hand the 16-year-old keys to the car and say, all right, get out on that freeway. Good luck. Um, you know, the, the surgeon, here's a scalpel. Oh, you've never done surgery before? Well, go get them. You know, we don't do that. Um, why would we think we should try life without steady training from God's Word? But let me tell you, God's Word isn't just to help us do things better. I mean, it's not like we have unity, and if we want really good unity, well, then we'll bring in God's Word. It doesn't work like that. You don't use God's word to get better unity. You get, use God's word to get unity in the first place. Why? Because the scriptures breathed by the Holy Spirit set the standard for our unity. If we're not living according to God's word, we won't have unity. Real unity is only found through the scriptures. Because why does Jesus want us to have unity? Well, here's the last point. Real Christian community is where we live in love so that we can be changed so that we can change the world. Jesus prays that we would be brought to complete unity, and the result is in verse 23. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So it's only through living like Jesus that the the church will be world-changing in our unity. I mean, our world is is so fragmented. We have different economic classes. We've got different genders and different nationalities and skin colors and looks and styles and different ages. And one of the things that made early Christian community unique from every other community or religion 
in the world is how it just broke through all of those barriers. You know, Jesus took little children in his arms and said, I want you to let these little children come to me. Do not hinder them. Well, that was, that was breakthrough. Jesus reached out to women in his culture that in breakthrough ways, no one was honoring women like Jesus was honoring them. He broke through barriers. He says, this faith that I'm helping you understand is not just for Jews, it's for Gentiles as well. He just broke through the barriers. If you were a slave in that early church, if you were free, it didn't matter, you were welcome there. If you were Jewish, if you were Gentile, it didn't matter, you were welcome there. If you were rich, if you were poor, it didn't matter, you were welcome there. You could come and be completely different than the person next to you in every way, and it didn't matter. There was room for you. Here's the gospel. Jesus came into the world. That would be full of his enemies, (laughs) full of people who were very different from him. And he died on the cross for them so that they would be no longer enemies but could become his friends, friends of God. And Jesus has done that for you so that you could go from enemy to God to friends of God. And when we live by God's word and God's spirit, we can be a church where anyone can come in, no matter how different they are from everyone else, and through our unity and through our love, love, they can become a friend of God. It is that acceptance and that unity, that love, that has the power to be hope to a broken world that invites people in. And so what I want us to do is commit to being that kind of church with that kind of unity. One more verse about unity. Remember those forms of love that take effort. We'll look at Ephesians 4, verse 3. Make every effort to keep the the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So what effort will you make? Um, Is that effort, uh, I need need some encouragement. I'm going to find some encouragers. Uh, I need some examiners. i got some decisions I need to make, and I need to pull some people in to help me think through this. Is it, hey, I, I, you know, I've been coming. I don't feel too connected. I'm going to... I'm going to find a way to group, meet with some groups of Christians here at Hope. You know, we're starting the Bible in a year, Easter. We're starting the Bible in a year. And we're starting some small groups for people to be a part of, to read through the Bible in a year and discuss, discuss that with one another. We're going to be preaching on that, going through it as a church, maybe committing to unity, making every effort. It's like, I'm going to be a part of a group, a small group. So think about that. We're going to be starting those groups. Make every effort is that... I need to reconcile with someone here that I know I'm at odds with. I'm going to reconcile with them. Is it making the mental shift of thinking of worship kind of primarily being for me? I come for me to have this spiritual fill-up to recognizing that worship is something that we do together so that we can encourage, examine, and equip one another, support one another in our growth, our Christian growth. So, I want you to think about that. What effort are you going to make to keep the unity of the Spirit?
through the bond of peace. Let's pray. God, you give us an amazing life. You call us to an amazing life. Forgive us when we get occupied with very important things in life, very important personal needs and family needs, very important. But sometimes we get so fixated on those things, we forget that there's this calling that you give to us to be a part of this this community of faith, your body, your body here, so that we can live not just for ourselves, but for you and to help bring your gospel, your salvation to the world around us, our neighborhoods around us, our friends around us, our coworkers. Lord, will you help us to hear from your spirit as we think through what are we going to do to make every effort to keep this unity, this loving unity, this sacrificial unity um, that we have with you, because of you, with one another. Help us to hear and help us to obey. In Christ's name, amen.